Chapter 4 Rubbish Dreams Moon cresting the hills diverts my eyes but not my thoughts, still focused on a night long ago. I strain to hold the present view, resting in my summer quarters amid the sibilance of crickets and aspen. But the stream of memory that Hirsch let loose has a current stronger than the mountain wind this eve. Its hold holds, and I am swept back to Vista Grande, to the fire and other losses to follow. A season unlike this one, of fearsome drought. The wait for rain is a dun stillness in New Mexico. We rivet every cloud with an eye for swell in its girth, spray the larvae of bark beetles devouring our pinon trees, curse the gusts sucking the last bit of moisture from every pore, rejoice at stray drops that come of a sudden, thinking now it's beginning, just as they vanish, parching the land with yearn. Maybe next week, next month, spring, summer, next year. Hope is a dream we dare not relinquish, nor water. Parched hills calling for rain can conjure its nemesis, fire, for which we also wait, in dread of its ravening teeth. Each day is both a reprieve and a knell. We will not escape, but how grave will the punishment be? I have lived always in a dry land. Its shorn plateaus and basins expose folly and jolt the observer. In time, the eye learns to differentiate brown from beige, from buff, from amber. To see detura and sage, choya, chamisa, and scrub oak. To hear chickadees, bluebirds, the ubiquitous crows and jays, a shrill of coyotes. To see undulating depth in the hues of light and shadow. This, my 23rd summer, marks the cruelest drought I have experienced. Since May, wildfires have burned thousands of acres in New Mexico. Crews are exhausted, budgets tight, water scarce, fears enormous. All of us are on high alert. The air is heavy with smoke and dust. We wait, like rabbits cowering in their warrens, praying for the fires to bypass us. But even that which is awaited arrives unexpectedly. Even that which we expect catches us unprepared. Or so it does me, in this case, asleep in the sweltering pulse of this mid-August night. Tiger regularly finishes his killing spree about four in the a.m. and demands to come in so he can give himself a vigorous tongue bath in the comfort of my bed. He has to clean up any scraps of flesh, guts, and blood stuck in his long fur. None of this is a source of comfort for my head where dreams of slashing eye teeth and carrion terror eviscerate the last hours of sleep. Ravaged mice families, gutted bunnies, disemboweled squirrels, and headless gophers plead for mercy. Their haunting wails echo through clogged synapses, underscored by vague worries about bubonic plague, rabies, and hantavirus. Still, it's better now than before I got a screen and he would bring the dying in with him to crush their skulls behind my sleeping knees. So it's four, and Tiger is yowling at the window, and I stumble over there, cursing him as always, when I smell smoke drifting in on the wind. Smoke. Not a barbecue, not a cigarette, but fire smoke. You grow up in New Mexico with your nose tuned to that frequency. Grabbing my cell, every fiber alert, I obey my primordial instincts and call home. Not a great message to leave Los Parentitos, but really important. 
I shouted into their garbled landline answering machine, hoping to shock them into waking up. My heart's ripping along with the fires inside me, while Tiger, gorged and oblivious, is licking the blood and sinews off his face. I hit the internet to check out the news. The fire has already burned 10,000 acres, and yes, it is only three miles from town. We are supposed to prepare for evacuation. For me, that means my harmonica, computer, a backpack of clothes, my journals and books, and of course, Tiger. It would all fit into Pac-Man, my rattletrap VW bug, which is parked down at the end of the street, where the battery apparently died. It's an awkward time to ask the neighbors, scurrying in and out of their houses with arms laden, for a jump start. This time I call Hirsch. He hasn't gotten the news. He is scared, too. He'll come for me as soon as he's packed up. Fire is total anarchy. When it catches hold of very dry, overgrown, windy, high desert hillsides, fire can burn at a phenomenal speed, leaping from tree to tree, jumping gullies, blazing through underbrush, spitting flames like dart throwers into the wilderness ahead. There's no telling which direction it might head, and you can get surrounded very quickly. The fire makes its own wind, which in turn revs the flames. The crews who go out there to fight it push themselves to superhuman levels of exhaustion, digging fire breaks, beating back flames, burying embers, all the while trying not to get trapped and keeping an eye on the helicopters above them spraying retardant when the winds subside enough to let copters fly. Their equipment weighs over 50 pounds, they're wearing masks so they can breathe, and it's hot, all the time ball-busting hot. Killer work. Evacuating is a very weird thing to be doing early in the morning on too little sleep. You anthropomorphize the fire and rail against it, like this disaster is some Wild West gunslinger villain who has it in specifically for you, and then you think about not seeing your house again the one you grew up in, or maybe not being able to live in this town again till you're an old man. That thought makes you remember that the premier nuclear lab to the north could also go up in flames and release enough deadly radiation to wipe out several western states, maybe more, maybe the world. And then you wonder why you're evacuating and to where. And somehow, this thought connects to another, even as you're wondering what the hell is taking Hirsch so long and the smoke smell is getting stronger, slipping in through the cracks around the windowsills and door, heightening your sense of urgency and creepiness. Shouldn't your parents be worrying about you? Are they okay? Now you're freaking yourself out. Where is Hirsch? Call him again. No answer. News? No update. Parents? No answer. The next time I call Hirsch, he's in panic mode. Slow going to pick me up. Streets are clogged. Masked and angry cops detouring traffic, trying to maintain order in the midst of mad confusion. Bumper cars, honking, lawlessness, terror and rage. Hirsch shrieking that he's going to die. I'm coming, homie, I'm on my way, but you're in the thick of it. Christ, hang on, he screams, then adds, Hey, bug, I love you, man. Major crisis time. I sprint to the end of the street where my worthless Pac-Man squats like a toad. It sputters, rousing false hopes chokes and quits. I kick the tires, pound the hood, curse it. The radio comes on, blasting static. Summoning all my mechanical know-how, I put the toad in gear and start pushing, turning the key with my right hand. Tires against the curb. Die, you piece of dung! I yell. Dead. The static hisses back. No good, this running. The air is being sucked out of me. Can't breathe right. Dizzy. Have to clear out of here. 
Herschel never get through. I stumble home, dodging neighbors, carrying crying kids, carrying mutilated teddy bears. And just as I crest the steps, here comes Jack, the drug dealer, with another load of contraband in his arms. Hey man, what are you doing? Not a good night to be out for a run. Evacuate, man. Grab your goodies and go. He nods, pleased by the advice. And suddenly a new thought strikes him. Maybe I'm not out jogging at five in the morning while Vista Grande burns. Hey man, you need a ride? Accelerating from jackass to jumping jack flash. I watch him cram the drug paraphernalia into his car, stashing baggies and suitcases and dumping what looks like half a pharmacy of pills into the trunk. Jesus, not his smartest move, but given the desperation of the scene, he might clean up on sales. I myself could use a little chemical boost about now. And a ride. I have to get out of here. Put off death as long as you can. That's my motto. Tiger, my pack, and I squeeze into the passenger seat. Forget seatbelts. There's barely room for us between the hookahs. Hitching a ride in a car loaded with enough contraband to put us away for life, with Jack, who's also loaded, is not my smartest move either. For one thing, cop cars with flashing lights and bullhorns are cruising the neighborhood, ordering us to leave at once. For another, there's the car itself, a 1975 Chartreuse Cadillac convertible with white leather seats. High visibility. Jack, six foot five, red dreads and fluorescent shirt, shares that trait with the caddy. You can spot him a mile away. His motto is, hide in plain sight, no one comes looking for you. We differ in that view. He reads a lot and binges on movies, Jack does, and he spouts a maniacal stream of Hunter Thompson-esque freestyle babble when he's stoned. Also a lot. Now, for instance, that too makes him stand out. Apocalyptic, man. Surreal beyond the fringe zone. Driving straight into the fires of hell or Mexico, man. Seeking asylum for the insane. It's sci-fi and Fellini. You ever see Satyricon? A wicked brew. Reality and illusion like no place I've ever been. We're in a new time zone, man. Tune in. Harmonic dissonance. The devil melting like paraffin. Beanstalk Jack sucking the giant mama's tits while the drip, drip, drip of eternity on sidewalks breaks my heart. What did you say, man? I'd said something about not taking out the refugees hurtling down the sidewalks, but he'd rambled right past me, and fortunately them as well. Straight, Jack is a marathon driver, glued to the road, rolling like a pro in and out of lanes, outstanding. Stoned, he can still go on forever, but he's a menace who tends to drift. Across lanes, shoulders, into fields, onto rail tracks and loading ramps. I knew this before I got in the caddy. If there'd been an alternative besides death, which I'm seeing now as a risk either way, I'd have grabbed it. This thought becomes neon in my head as we pull up to a checkpoint where the cops are directing traffic. End of the line, Al. Last night on the planet, it's all going to blow. Jack shouts to attract a little more attention to himself. Let's drive to the mountaintop and watch the flames. You ever see Dr. Strangelove, where Slim Pickens rides the nuke down like a bronco? Yippee! Yippee! Let's go down with the ship, man. Come on, honey, dance with me. The man in blue with a big pistol, also loaded, approaches, and I'm preparing to flee when an accident to our left distracts him. Jack guns it and roars through, waving his arms and singing, You know something's happening, but you don't know what it is, do you, Mr. Jones? In his copious free time, he's also mastered Dylan's repertoire. On a night like this, man, hurtling through conflagration, old light hangs in the mind. We should know so much more by now. No one makes this voyage, not this late in time. 
He waves his arm like he's clearing the smoke away. Our eyes are trained on distractions, man, but they can still be surprised and never know what was missed or miss what's gone. His face contracts. Fucking rubbish dreams. Among the random words Jack strings together, some are excellent. It's like that old theory about how when you put an infinite number of monkeys in front of an infinite number of keyboards, one of them will write Shakespeare. Reality or truth, man, how do you tell the difference? The source of our confusion is we're all reading by one star. Not enough illumination to decipher the stones and signs or pick up on the myriad visions lost to sleight of hand. We used to be magicians, man. Now we're just clowns who fail to see the failure of not seeing. We're headed toward Ponderosa Ave, which puts me in mind of a destination besides hell or Mexico. Los Parentitos. My natal home. Home safe. I try to call again. No ring at all this time. Why don't they ever turn on their cell? Or call me? If I can persuade Jack to turn on to Pondo, we'll go right past the driveway to their house on our, his, way out of town. I can walk from there. What, what, what? North, man? Turn north? I'm experiencing a moment of cognitive dissonance here, Al. Why would I go north to get to Mexico? North is like hick cowboy bars, spurs, spitting, slaughterhouses, rattlers, rednecks, geysers, guns. And Canada, I put in. Canada, man, we are so fucking far from Canada. Run out of gas way before then. North shit. You've got a tiger, tiger burning bright in the fires of this night. He's a beast, man, lying to the lambs, fanging the roar of old-growth forests, churned into butter for our popcorn mania. You've got a tiger by the tail and a glacier to hobble away on, ripe dude, nursing your wounded dreams of mastery. Tiger trumps tundra. Moose, grizzlies, they'll rip the flesh from my carcass. Car and cast, cool, how that unites us in the grim jaws of reaper death. Canada, man, that's a dream. Okay, well, how about just as far as Farolito? Then you can cut across to 358 and go south. My parents live up this road. You'll be shed of me. Traffic's bound to be lighter going that way. Turn here. Pushy, I know, but he doesn't have a route mapped out, and Ponderosa is clear, whereas ahead, down Ventura, we can see more flashing lights. Ponderosa is, in fact, very clear in the direction we're going. We have a clean, straight shot, a nice change. Coming toward us, the traffic is much heavier, which makes me wonder what's up and makes no impression at all on Jack. Neither does the smoke, which is getting thicker now, coating us like an acrid fog. He's singing the chorus too, like a rolling stone. How does it feel to be on your own, with no direction home, just like a rolling stone? Hey Jack, man, how about pulling up the cover on this baby and putting on the AC? I am choking on the words, the smoke is so bad. No answer for a long time, way longer than a normal pause. This is so rich, so magical surrealism, man, like Wonderland gone to Weirdland. We could start seeing, like, you know, gargoyles and vampires rising from their graves. Don't say that, man. It's so easy to see shit like that when you're on... What am I on? He gives me this bewildered look, and I grab the steering wheel and point us back at the road. We are within a mile of my home when the cop lights start flashing. No sweat. I can make it cross-country from here. If he slows down, man, what a maniac. Breaking not at all as we head directly at the police barricade. Have you ever hit a moment of total lucidity in the midst of total chaos? Like the smack of a dust devil, it whomps me just then, 
and what I know in this crystal moment is that everything is wrong. Jack and Caddy, both loaded. My pack and my cat. Los Parentitos. The fire. The flashing lights. The direction we're headed. The screams I'm now hearing. All wrong. North? Go north, you said? Al, you stupid shit. North is... Holy crap! The reality of our screwdom finally strikes Jack, too, and he flips out. North is where the fire must have begun. Someplace up there in the National Forest, and we're driving straight into the heart of it. North is also HQ for every cop within driving range, including, no doubt, a couple from the narco squad. Furious, Jack hits reverse, curtailing the life of his tranny, pounds the accelerator, and backs up, swerving dizzily till he crashes right into the concrete barrier at the roadside. Both of us so adrenaline we don't feel the whiplash. Paralyzed everywhere but our eyes, which watch the cop come up to the caddy, glancing suspiciously at its contents. His hand slips down to his pistol, face hardening. Desperate, I throw open the door and flee, holding Tiger under one arm and dragging my pack with the other. Running for my life into the crowd that inexplicably has gathered behind a second barricade that I don't notice till I hurtle directly into it, where another cop grabs me. Meanwhile, back at the caddy, Jack seems to have come up with his own scheme for survival. Stop that man! He's a drug dealer! He yells. He forced me to drive him! Watch out! He's armed! With a cat? It's theater of the absurd. Involuntarily, I explode into laughter and tears, fall to my knees, pleading my innocence and screaming for mercy. Jack is stunned by my impromptu performance. Even I can't believe I'm doing this. Sorry, I'm real sorry, the cop says. I don't look at him, just nod, and hold out my backpack hand for him to cuff. He grabs it and helps me to my feet. My mother is standing in front of me. Sorry, I'm real sorry. Like a complete idiot, I repeat the cop's words. First the fire, and now her son's a convict. I truly am sorry, and outrageously happy to see her. Still sobbing with relief, I take her in my arms. The cop steps away from us and fades into the crowd. What the hell are they all doing here? Why didn't she call me, her first and only born child? Can she imagine the hell I've been through to get here? Where's Papito? Time for them to loan me some money for a new car. It's not like I ask for that much. As I'm babbling at her, I notice that Mamiya is not hugging me back. She is not reacting to my plight. Her face is the color of this smoke-stained dawn. She says flatly, Oh, good. You saved Tiger. I lost Caleb. And the photo albums. And your father. And then I have to focus. See the house I grew up in smoldering. See the neighborhood in flames. Hear the family I grew up living next door to screaming. See the cops ferrying people away from the scene. Hear my mother's words. But I can't make sense of them, not of anything. They are stupid words, meaningless. Lost Caleb the Terrier? Lost my father? And the photo albums? What? She is always losing things that she's put somewhere safe, always looking for them. Has anyone seen a folder marked car insurance? My silver hummingbird earrings? The cell phone? My sunglasses? Scissors? I was raised with questions like these roaming the house. Her anxiety and frustration, a frantic walkabout, and the shuffling of objects, clothes, opening and closing of drawers, closets, doors. What's wrong this time 
is that she isn't looking, just standing here. I was usually the one who found her stuff by knowing where to look, staying calm, not caring that much. So it's logical for me to go in search of Papito and Caleb. I drop Tiger into her arms. She grabs hold of him too tight, like he's a stuffed toy. He yells, and I yell at her too loud, Hey, Mom, be careful! and take off toward the fiery remains of the house. Then there is a lot of shouting, people grabbing me, and I yelp, trying to squirm free. Just give me a minute, I snap. I know where they are. Let go! Kicking, I break free and run, but not fast enough. Trapped again. I growl, a tiger-like warning before he bites, but they have me pinned. If he's not in his study, he's in the back bedroom. The dog's with him. I am really yelling now, out of patience with these jerks. He puts on his headphones, see, so he can't hear anything but his damn music. Joni Mitchell, Judy Collins, let go of me, let go! I call for Caleb, full volume. If he's scared, he'll head for the road. Doesn't get that he could be killed. Someone should check. Christ, who let him out anyway? Old and dumb. Mom, what the hell is going on here? She's beside me now, holding Tiger upside down, the only cat in the world who doesn't mind. Alex, they're gone! She's screaming, too. Where? Why the hell aren't you with them? She just looks at me, mouth hanging open. Shut up! I yell. She hates the words. I was always forbidden to say them. I called! You didn't answer. I called. I left a message to warn you. You needed to come get me. She's still staring. What the hell? Are you deaf? Shut up, shut up, shut up. And finally, I do, sedated by a stealthy needle or just utter pointlessness. Whatever it is takes out my mouth, but my mind keeps working. I see Jack, the drug dealer, being hauled off. Bizarre thing to be doing, my mind tells me. Who cares? Stupid, incongruous, all of it. Who's living this scene? He's pointing at me, cursing, screaming something about getting even, words that make about as much sense as my mother's. Even what are we doing? Everybody's watching him, which gives me the break I need. Wrenching free of the police, drugged crazy, I lurch into the smoldering ruins of the house. And there they are, shadows in the smoke, haloed by metal sparks, shuffling forward, Papito with Caleb in his arms, me barreling at them, tripping over a ceiling beam and crashing to the floor in what was once my living room, now become a crematorium. <laughs>